Alright, so we're going to be looking at our Torah portion, Haftorah portion, and Apostolic Scriptures portion. Um, primarily, we're going to focus on um, uh, uh, the portion in the Gospels. Uh, Paul, I printed out some papers right behind you, if you want to hand those out to people. So I printed it off because today in Bamidbar, which is... Um, numbers uh, is where our passage is in Numbers chapter 1. <clears throat> Basically the first, uh, what, we, what we read is the numbering of the tribes. So you, we read about the numbering of the tribes as well as uh, where they're located. We also read about the Levites, Kohath, and Merari. And I'm forgetting the other group right now. And where, where where everybody's located, basically, and how they're all numbered. So I wanted to print this all out so you guys could kind of have a visual. Because it's it's interesting. It's not something that we get to see all the time. Some some Bibles have it printed out in their back of their Bible. I think it's probably enough he can have his own. Sure, yeah, I'll take one too. <laughs> So this is how, for those of you who may not have been here, this is how the tribes were laid out. <laughs> uh, these are how the tribes were laid out in the wilderness. Oh, fuck. So we're going to be in Numbers chapter 1 to start. And we're just going to kind of go, go kind of somewhat... Quickly, I don't know if that's through through the uh, Torah portion here. Then we'll go into Hosea for our half Torah portion, and then into uh, Luke for our Gospels portion. <clears throat> Numbers chapter one. Yep. So we see in uh, well, for, uh, chapter one basically gives you the numbering of the people of Israel. Because um, it says, And Yehovah spoke unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month, in the second year, after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel after their families, by the house of their families, with their numbers of their names, every male by their poles from twenty years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel. Thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. So this was basically numbering all the men of war, eligible age from 20 years old and upward. Uh, it was basically you you were in the army, you didn't really have a choice. It's interesting today, still in Israel, everybody's required to do military service, including the women, which I think is a stupid foolhardy plan of theirs, but hey, that's what they do. I personally think men or women, uh, biblically based, should be part of the war. Not that they never did any fighting. We, we obviously see that that did happen in certain cases, like when uh, the one woman drove the tent peg through the guy's head. That was a cool story. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, they were no less courageous than the men were. It's just God designed men and women to have specific roles, and uh, women were not to be engaged in active combat. Um, so that's my two cents on that, and that's what the Bible says. So uh, in chapter 2, 
we read, And Yehovah spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard, with the ensign of their father's house, far off about the tabernacle of the congregation they shall pitch. And then we're going to see, and it goes all the way through, but on the, starting on the east side towards the rising of the sun, shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch. So I gave you this printout here, and you see on the east side of the camp you've got Judah. And then what you find is the numbering of the men of war that were in Judah, as well as the tribes that were camped next to them. This is, this is interesting as well as important, because when we read about like the rebellion of Korah uh, and uh, Reuben and Simeon and some of those guys get caught up with them. Guess where they are? They're neighbors with them. That's where, see, Kohath is down there in the south. And they were the Kohathites that were from Korah. And uh, Simeon and Reuben kind of got caught up with them. And, uh, and so it's interesting how, you know, they basically, you know, were neighbors with him and probably mumbled and muttered to each other. What was interesting, too, which makes me think of that mumbling and muttering, which a lot of that went on in the wilderness, was... Um, the passage of the psalm that my dad just read, uh, Psalm, let me turn to it real quickly, uh, 44, 144, stood out to me. Um, so he's saying, you know, our sons grow up as plants and their youth, their daughters as cornerstones, the garden is full of sheep bringing forth uh, thousands and the oxen be strong. And then you get to the very end of verse 14, that there be no complaining in our streets. <laughs> it just seems like, yeah, great things, strong men, beautiful women, oxen, sheep, and no complaining. <laughs> it's just like, what? Wait, what? But God knows what is our tendency of our fallen state. <laughs> yeah, you know, this guy's got that, he's got that, complaining. What does that do? That, ah. Uh, just lets loose the line of our inner anger and discontent and to spew, you know, sewage amongst our own families and people around us that just contaminates uh, the air of, of the uh, society around us, basically, and just breeds more contempt for God and for everything. And so we see that in the layout even of the camp when you, as you follow this. So God's telling us where everybody is and then as you read and then you learn about the rebellion of Korah and how then their neighbors got caught up with them, you end up with uh, c- complaining. <laughs> uh, the other thing I found was interesting is so numbering the people is a pretty significant thing that happens in the Bible. It only happens a handful of times and it usually has to do with they're getting ready for war. Um, right now, they're getting ready to go to the land. They, they end up not going into the land, and everybody dies in the wilderness. But the plan is they're getting ready to go into the land, and so God numbers all the men of war. The important thing is it's God who has them number all the people. Because later on, we read in the book of the Kings, David numbers all the people, and there's a huge plague that happens because of it, and God smites like some odd 70,000 of them, you know, huge amounts. And I often wondered, like, you know, man, why, why? My working, general working theory is David was numbering his men to find out how strong his army was to give him a value of what the strength of the nation was. So who's he relying on? 
himself and his men and his and the strength of his armies instead of God's provision and protection that leads and guides them all along the way. And that whether whether there's ten of them and a thousand bad guys, if God's on our side, that's no big deal. You know, five hundred will chase a hundred thousand. You know, it talks about in passages. So when God tells them to number the people, it's fine. When uh, when David numbers the people, it's not okay because uh, it, it's showing really the state of David and the state of the people then as a reflection of whoever their leader is. So anyway, gave you this printout here of where the people are. Um, Moses and the priests, so and Aaron, uh, on the east side, camped directly in front of the entrance to the tabernacle. So you don't enter into God's presence without going through the priesthood. I find that kind of interesting. So these grand spiritual uh, uh, concepts are laid out in a very tangible, physical way with the ordering of the tribes. You can't go into the tabernacle without first going through the priesthood and walking through their camp. Um, And then also what's interesting in the camp of Judah is on the east side, and they're also the ones that head out first in the camp. Let me see if I can find... It's in our Torah portion here. Uh, whenever they leave, I'll have to look it up again, but when they broke camp, Judah was always the first ones to go. It was, I believe it was Judah would go first, and then I want to say Reuben, or actually I think Judah, Ephraim, then the tabernacle, then you had Reuben, and then da- Dan let up let up the rear as they went um so anyway interesting stuff um so that's where they all camped and how they were all grouped and then we go on chapter three and he talks about the taking of the levites and how the levites don't get any land and they are god's possession and they number the Levites from uh, a month old and upward, and they take the number of all the Levites, and there has to be enough Levites to cover all the fighting age males in the rest of the kingdom of Israel because God takes the Levites as his own people instead of the firstborn of the rest of the tribes. And so whatever was left over, they had to give five shekels apiece, it says in, um, uh, let's just start in verse 44 uh, of chapter 3. Yehovah spoke unto Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. And the Levites shall be mine. I am Yehovah. For those that are to be redeemed of the 203 score 13 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, which are more than the Levites. So there was more uh, than, of uh, fighting age men in Israel than there were of the Levites. Thou shalt take five shekels apiece by the pole after the shekel of the sanctuary. Thou shalt take them. A shekel is 20 garas. Uh, and thou shalt take and give them money wherewith the odd number of them is to be redeemed unto Aaron and to his sons. Moses took the redemption money of them that were over and above them that were to be redeemed by the Levites. So the firstborn of the children of Israel took he the money, a thousand three hundred and three score and five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. 
And Moses gave the money of them that was redeemed unto Aaron and his sons, according to the word of Jehovah, as Jehovah commanded Moses. So he says in here a few times, you know, the firstborn are his. And basically the reasons he gives is, I am Jehovah. <laughs> basically what he says. Because uh, if you go back in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, And I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, Instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix among the children of Israel, therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. For on the day that I smote all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn of Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be. I am Yehovah. And so then uh, the, the uh, families within the Levites, there's the family of Aaron, which is the high priesthood, and then you have Merari, Gershon, and Kohath. And they all had specific duties that they uh, fulfilled under the, the priesthood. Whenever the camp moved, Aaron and his sons were the only ones who touched the articles in the tabernacle itself. The showbread, the menorah, the ark. They bore, they bore the ark. Merari, Kohath, and Gershon were basically responsible for everything else. All the boards, all the curtains, the tabernacle covering itself um, all, all these different things they would carry with them as the as the camp of Israel went, went uh, continued on um, yeah so that, that's what we see in chapter 4 it says talks about the sum of Kohath and from 30 years old even upward until 50 um, so for for the service to be to be a service age of a priest, you had to be 30 years old, at least. And you could only serve until you were 50. I find that kind of interesting. That that's like prime years, I guess, basically. So I'm in my mind. 32. <laughs> I don't know if I feel that way. Uh, and um, so that's when, uh, that's where, uh, that's where the ages that they, they worked and um, so it talks about all that they carried everything and covered it and what they did and so forth. So that's basically our Torah portion for this week. Now if we go on, our half Torah portion is Hosea chapter 1. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Chapter 1. We're going to start in uh, verse 10. We're going to read. We'll read the whole portion and I'll probably stop and comment on it. Um, <coughs> Hosea is, is a, a, a prophet uh, in, the, in, the, in the land of Israel. And it says in verse 1, The word of Yehovah came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. So that gives you an idea of when he was a prophet. And they were pretty dark days in Israel's time, especially with uh, uh, Ahaz and Jotham and uh, Uzziah. Hezekiah was a good guy um, in the kings of Judah. All the kings of Jer um, Actually, Joash, I think, was pretty good in Israel. 
But, you know, these were basically really bad times when the temple was in disarray. There was lots of idol worship going on, horrible things. And so because of all these things, God's basically sending these prophets to them, telling them, hey, clean up your act or I'm coming with judgment. And if you don't obey, you know, you're going to be carried off. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. And so he sends people like Hosea to uh, try to call the people back under repentance. So, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, uh, is where we're start. So, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured, nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people... There it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall it be the day of Yezreel. This is a really famous passage that you know we all like to talk about and quote and, uh, because it's exciting. Because it says, The number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. So there's going to be this great mass of people, which will be and are the children of Israel. And it will come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. In other words, because they disobeyed, he's prophesying here that eventually because they disobeyed, they'd be scattered all over the, everywhere, all over the earth, and they would just be assimilated into the nations around them, take on all of their customs, and you wouldn't be able to distinguish them from any, any of them, that they will eventually said, where you're not my people, there you would be called sons of the living God. And this is really, really important because... This has very much um, uh, uh, <coughs> messianic undertones to it. And messianic, um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but, but when you go into, I just thought of this, um, if you go to John, go to John, verse 1, uh, and if you start in verse 11, he came to his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received them, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, so this has really important... Um, meaning behind it. So they'd be scattered all over the place and they'd become just a a dispersed mess. But that was part of what Yeshua's whole mission was, was to come, was to regather his people. And and I think that when we read in Hosea that says, and it'll come to pass, it will be called sons of the living God, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head. I think that that is Yeshua. Because who else are we going to appoint as our head? Some dude down in... I won't name states... Down to wherever, and they're going to go up, and they're going to lead us? H-E double toothpicks? No. And I'm going to follow Yeshua, because he's the only one that is our head. He's, he's, he's the Messiah. And so we're going to follow him. And so I think what's happening now is that we're going to be, we are being called sons of the living God, because we're being brought out of where we've been scattered, and we were called a nobody, nothing mishmash, American, it's a mix of who knows what, who cares. Now... We are born again. 
And we are now not of the flesh, not of blood, nor the will of man, but of the will of God. And we are born of his spirit, which makes us his sons. And so we are now his firstborn, which then ties us all the way back into the Torah portion with how he numbered who his people were. They were his children and his firstborn. And we serve him now. And so now we appoint for ourselves one head which will lead us on. Because if we're all following Yeshua, theoretically we should all be doing the same thing. And I believe that's going to become more and more distinct as time goes on, as God's Spirit is manifest more and more in His people, as people seek to change their lives and purify themselves and live for God and be obedient unto Him and walk in His ways. Because it it can't help but happen. Because if if you're a son who wants to obey, you will make progress. And, and the father, just as an earthly father, helps his children grow and learn things and, and mature and become a man eventually. So God helps us with his spirit to teach us his ways so that we will grow up and to be the people that we are to be for him. That then he can do something with Right now, we're in the building stages. But how cool is it to be part of that? You know, to, to read these passages written thousands of years ago in the darkest times of Israel where judgment, only judgment was coming, and now to be a part of those people who are being gathered back, who had no name but are now sons of the living God. You know? I just think it's awesome. All right, let's keep reading. All right, so chapter 2. Uh, oh, uh, great shall be the day of Yezreel, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. That means uh, that, that uh, Yezreel generally means God soweth. So in other words, or God planteth something, or scattereth even. You know, he's planting seed. He is, it's all harvest terms. He's put his seed, and now he's gathering them in. What is bearing fruit, you know? All right, chapter 2. Say unto your brethren... Ami and to your sisters, Rahum, uh, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked, and set her as the day when she was born, and make her as the wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot, she hath con- them. Uh, she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool, my flocks, mine oil, and my drink. Therefore, so he's talking about basically his own people. That they're going after their own ways. They're seeking their goods, their sustenance, and what's their pleasure and their joy from other avenues and places and kings and people other than God. And so they're, they're playing the whore, basically. And so uh, he's saying, look, if you continue to go after these ways of these other nations and these people and get, get everything in your safety, that's why part of the reason David numbering his own people was of his own strength. He says, no, it's supposed to be in God. And so if they're going to go and seek other nations, you know, the Syrians or the Babylonians or the Chaldeans or the, the Egyptians for strength and they're going to make trade with them, he said, you're relying on a broken reed, and uh, only judgment will come to pass. So, he says in 6, therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. It's really, uh, uh, that's really uh, important statement right there, because 
Whenever God talks in these agricultural terms, such as thorns, like in Glenn said multiple times, when you hedge in a flock of sheep, you put thorns around it, and that keeps the intruders out. Well, thorns also, and Paul talks about as a thorn inside, uh, are synonymous with the enemies of God and with the enemies of the people of Israel. And so whenever he says that I'm going to hedge about you with a, a, a hedge of thorns, in other words, he says, I'm going to bring your enemies upon you. And so God uses Israel's enemies as an implement to chastise them and to bring them back into what they should and to punish them. And we see the same thing today. There's just another shooting in Tel Aviv right after their gay pride, pride day. You know, it's terrible. Okay. Four, I will have no mercy upon their children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother played the harlot. She conceived them that have done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. Where, therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. She shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but they, sh uh, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better with me than now. Kind of sounds like the prodigal uh, son uh, uh, parable. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. Now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. And I will cause all her myrrh to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines, her fig trees, wherefore she had. These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balim, wherein she burned incense to them, and decked herself with earrings and jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith Yahweh. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. So that's what's happening right now. God is luring us, and he's bringing us into the wilderness. It's really interesting that God took them out of basically the most powerful nation in the world when he took them out of Egypt. It was full of, it was basically America. <laughs> or any major metropolistic world system that you can picture in your mind today. They were slaves in the system, essentially. Serving Pharaoh, the god of the day, the leader of the day, the man, Uncle Sam, whoever you want to call him. That's what we're doing right now. So what did he do? He took them out of that. And he brought them into the wilderness. He took them out of everything and stripped them all down. And he gave them the, his word, which then gave them a new culture and a new system to order their lives and to live by. And it's the same exact thing that's happening now. He's not taking us into a physical wilderness but what happens when you start to keep the Sabbath, the festivals, the dietary laws? It starts to separate you from the common culture of the day. You can't go to restaurants on Sabbath. You can't... It family starts to separate... What? Camping. Camping with friends. You know, all these things that... Basically how the world today is structured, you start to get separated out. 
So then what does that do? You end up sitting home in your house, and at first you're kind of like, this sucks. You know? <laughs> or man, uh, Shavuot's getting in the way of our camping, right? And that's usually our first knee-jerk reaction, which is understandable, but it's wrong. We're supposed to be in the wilderness not to grumble and wish for the leeks and the meat pots and the onions back in Egypt and, oh, why can't we go camping on Sabbath? No. We're to be at peace and at rest in the wilderness with our Father who has bought us. And he's teaching us something different. And if we will only listen to him, he gives us the wine and the oil and, and the wool and the flax to sustain us and put us where we're really happy, where there's actually life, where there's actually health and prosperity, not where the world does, where you just run yourself into oblivion and crash and burn eventually and get cancer and die. You know, that's what happens in the world system because the devil wants to give you all these fun things, but only basically just to lure you into a drunken state so that you uh, are no good for anything anymore. And you start doing all kinds of abominable, terrible things. That's what happens in the outside. And so he takes us into the wilderness. Well, what's really interesting about the wilderness, if you look at even the Hebrew words for uh, wilderness or city, um, the word for, for city means chaos, confusion, loud. You know, just think of the sounds that you hear in a city. Whereas the wilderness, it has behind it the idea of order, symmetry, Peace, complacency. Like, why do people go camping? You know, why is it a mass exodus from Phoenix every weekend to go up into the mountains? Because it's chaotic in the city. And so they go and they get up into the mountains and they, you open your, your chair and you sit down and you don't hear anything. Except birds, crickets. And it's peaceful. And you can, you can hear again. And so God is doing with that right now. In your own home, wherever you are, when you, when you can't go out with your friends to go camping with them or a restaurant or a ball game on Shabbat, go outside or just open your Bible and listen to what God is speaking to you from the mountain of Sinai because he's giving you the wealth of everything he, that he can to prepare you to be sons of the living God that then he can use to plant in his holy Mount Zion one day. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in a hundred years, but that's okay. We have to be part of the chain that we sang about that from generation to generation we pass these things down because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Are we going to lose another generation to, to this world again? Just like kind of my generation was mostly lost? You know, they grew up. In Christianity, and God bless my dad for trying his best and did a great job. And but 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 Christianity, because it, it had departed from God's ways, had created its own system. And kids aren't stupid. And they see through the false pretenses and, and the fakeness of, of life that you try to live. You know, they look at it and they say, Why are we doing this? You know, they don't see a point, you know. And so that's our job is to show our children there's a reason that we're doing this. Not because we're waiting to get zapped up out of our, zapped up out of our sneakers and one day we'll be caught up in the air and we're out of this and whoop doo you know. No, we've got a job to do and, 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 and we're part of a mission and 
we're part of a greater plan and we're going back and we have a land that's ours, an inheritance that we're going to live in and, it's gonna, and God's going to reign. And we're going to point one head and follow him. You know, that, we need to give our children and, and those who we speak to that kind of hope. And I think that's why uh, right now it, Islam is a very appealing religion because they see a people who are passionate about something and have an objective. You know, they see Christians as just like, this is the air I breathe. Ah, it just makes me freaking children a stick. I hate, ah, I just, that's part of the reason why I hate all this stupid crap worship songs. Not that they're not bad, and I get into it. You hear me up here. And, but, you know, not just all about this feed myself and my ego and whatever I get and feel good, you know, garbage. You know, no, give people a job to do and a mission and a self-worth and that they have the ability and the power to serve God and to be part of something greater than themselves and not get down about it, you know. That's what we have to, you know, speak to our, our friends and our people and our family members. Hack it up. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't even know where I was. Okay. Oh, 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of a hoard for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, that is in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, saith Yehovah, that that shall be called Ish and shall be called no more Bali. For I will take away the names of Balim out of her mouth and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the heaven, with creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down in safety. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and loving kindness and in mercies. Hallelujah! And I will even betroth unto me, thee unto me in faithfulness. And thou shalt know. Yehovah. Woo! I can't wait. You know? That's what I'm waiting for. And that's what I want to be a part of. And it's quite frankly about the only thing that gives me hope to, you know, keep carrying on. Because um, otherwise, if you think about life too much and where we are, it just really gets depressing. <laughs> so don't go there. Don't go down that path. <sighs> okay. Now, let's go to Luke 16. We're going to read through this. There's a ton in this one little... Uh, section that we're going to read and we're just going to hopefully cover some of it because it's great and the words of Yeshua are just so powerful um, and I just oh, I love what he what he I don't know how to even describe it but I love how he just can can weave a dialogue of, of words speaking to different people and telling a story that just like stabs at the heart of so many different things perfectly. <laughs> and just disembowels everybody right in front of themselves. And they don't even know what happened. <laughs> it's great. Alright. Uh, where are we? 16 verse 1 of uh, the book of Luke. Okay. He said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. He called him and he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said to himself, What shall I do? 
But my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship, and I cannot dig. And I, to beg, I am ashamed. So this, you know, he's got some pride in himself, and he's like, I'm not a laborer. I think at Downton Abbey, I've never you know, worked a day in my life. Uh, I cannot dig, and I'm too ashamed uh, to beg. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me unto their houses. In other words, he's, he's like, all right, I, I've already burned my bridge with my master, so I'm going to cut a deal with these guys so that they're going to be like, all right, this guy's okay. Uh, with basically the, the debtors that he was supposed to be steward of those debts with so that he can employ himself elsewhere. All right. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said unto them, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto them, Take thy bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said unto another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, that they may receive you unto everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in least is also unjust in much. If, therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, uh, commit to your trust the true riches? If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. So, he's speaking to his disciples, and he's basically telling them, Look, guys. You're still living in the diaspora, even though they're, in a, you know, they're, they're still under reign. You need to be wise in this world and work within the world system. Be in the world but not of the world, as Paul says. And be wise about this. Because if I can't trust you in to walk in this world and to be wise and to be uh, righteous in your dealings and your doings here and not get wrapped up in everything that you do being for money... How am I going to trust you for bigger things of the kingdom if you can't if you can't even do basic things with the kingdom here? Is what he's telling them. He says you basically are guys are idiots, you know, because the children of uh, unrighteousness are wiser than the children of light in these things. So he's saying, don't be stupid, you know. Use have some common sense. Do do what's right. Be justice. Be, be just. And so, but then he says he elaborates, goes on to elaborate, and said, you can't serve two masters, mammon and God. In other words, you can't have your loyalties divided uh, or all that you do. In other words, if you're trying to survive and get money and get by causes you to be disobedient unto God and to sin, then you're not serving God anymore. You're serving man. Oh, why it cut the Pharisees to the quick is because that's exactly what they did. On the outside, they had lungs, eat, eat. And they had big old factories, and they, you know, they looked really righteous, and they looked really pious, and people looked up to them, and they said wrong prayers, and you know, they smiled a lot, and looked fancy on TV. But really, <laughs> sorry, don't worry about it, Bruce. It'll still be there. 
Um, really, they were doing it all for the money. They were serving mammon. They weren't serving God. They didn't care about God. They served God, air quotes, as a means to, to make money and to, and to uh, prosper. Because God says, uh, it says here, who were covetous? Well, and that's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, uh, all these, all these different things. <laughs> yes, or people who write books, lots of them. Subscribe to their websites, or all these other different things. <laughs> Fifteen, he said unto them. So then he's like, he goes from the disciples, and. and and then you can see the uh, the Pharisees, you know, deriding him. And then he goes and he points at them. And he just gets his verbal sword ready. He says, uh, 15, he said to them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. <laughs> just chops them down. Oh, it's like no wonder they wanted to kill him. He, you know, he just really undid the uh, 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 the societal structure of everything, basically the religious structure, the social structure, and, and said, "No, you're doing it all wrong. Turn back, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. His kingdom is coming, and it will not be stopped because it is born about by His Spirit." <clears throat> 16 the law and the prophets were until John since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man pressed into it in other words he's saying there the, the law and the prophets spoke about John spoke about me coming and the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it in other words all these people are coming into his kingdom. And they're 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 pressing into it. And another and, and then it says, It is easier for, for heaven and earth to pass than one little jot, uh, one tittle of the law to fail. In other words, these things are prophesied to happen, just like we read in Isaiah. That my people are going to come into their kingdom. And it was spoken of the law and the prophets. And it's easier for heaven. You know, he's, he's speaking to the Pharisees still. Don't you think that this is just going away and you're still in control and you have your cake and you eat it too? These things were spoken of. And the law cannot be broken. Which is rather ironic of a statement because they built their lives, air quotes, on the law and teaching the Torah, and how to do it, and how to observe it. Leading all the way up to then when the Mishnah and the Talmud was codified into now nowadays. And they were building themselves followers of men instead of followers of God. <clears throat> and then, he, and then he, he, he gives them an illustration uh, of one of the commandments of the breaking in verse 18. Whoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whoever marrieth uh, her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. And then he gives them a parable to illustrate this further. 
19. There's a certain rich man. Everybody knows this parable, but it's awesome. Which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fair sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gates full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being torn in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from them. Then he said, I pray therefore, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, send, send Lazarus. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. This is so powerful. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Isn't that still true today? You know, Yeshua rose from the dead, rose Lazarus from the dead. <clears throat> and uh, they don't believe. Why? Because... Many don't believe because they don't believe the law and the prophets either. You know, much of Judaism today has written their own law, version of the law and the prophets and the Talmud. And they, they keep themselves up followers uh, after themselves. And they create their own bend on the commandments. And so they're no longer serving God. They're serving themselves and they're serving men. You know, they're covetous. You know, so much today that we see, and this happens on the other side too, you know, you have these scholars and these ministries uh, who keep up followers after themselves, all for money. You know, when you when you really boil it down, so much of it is all about mammon. Who are they really serving? And I think oftentimes they get sucked into not even realizing that that's what they're doing, and you end up getting your judgment clouded and led astray unbeknownst to yourself even and then you also become prideful so that if something or someone comes along to correct you you're very unlikely to listen to that because you uh, have built your own glass castle alright well that's about it for today um, let's pray Heavenly Father God we just thank you for this Shabbat we thank you for your word I thank you that we are sons of the living God, that we are numbered among your people. Help us just to serve you, to enjoy the wilderness and hearing from your word, that it would be that time that refines us and prepares us to enter into the land one day. And uh, that we would be taught, that we would be wise, as, as Yeshua said, to use what he has given us in this world to further his kingdom 
and to be trustworthy servants, God. I just thank you for all these things. Give us a good Shabbat, a good Shavuot tomorrow as we gather together in safe travel. And uh, thank you that we can observe these festivals and the Sabbath and um, gather. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.